1: listen to amazing and bizarre science infuse into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll feature software for the bionic eye and social television. But first up, here's Julianne Popple at the Coral Art Science Life exhibit. Dr. Karma Wallace is an artist inspired by the marine environment. Julianne Popple caught up with her, despite the noise, at the Coral Art Science Life exhibition at the MacLea Museum at the University of Sydney.
0: I wanted to start by asking you how you feel about the fusion between art and science. Um,
3: I think or well, the way that my work really is an interpretation of the place mainly that I live in, particularly um, natural environments that have been impacted by people. Um, and in studying that environment, i found that a multidisciplinary approach is a really interesting and informative way of finding out about a place. Uh, And of course science is is an extremely important discipline in that regard. So making work for this particular exhibition um, has really led me to look at the rubbish the materials that I find on the beach, on my many beach walks, and to really think about the forms, the bryozoans, the different forms of um, life that actually have attached themselves and are growing in colonies on those ropes, to to really think more about them, identify them, know a lot more about my environment just through making work for a show such as this.
0: And I notice you use, you do use a lot of materials that have washed up on the beach, say discarded old bits of fishing line and whatnot. But can you explain to me this work with the fishing line? It depicts a very tangled web of complex elements. What does this work mean for you?
3: Well, it is the tangled web that we weave. <laughs> with these works, I've attached the filament that is encrusted with various coralline bryozoans different forms of life that have been out on on the reef where it has been caught for quite a long time and then sewn them onto these circular forms with red sutures, really wanting to conceptualise the idea of trying to find solutions for the problems that we create in these marine environments.
0: And do you think art is a good way of expressing the need for solutions?
3: Well, I think using art to express ideas like this gives a different avenue for interpretation. So if someone comes in, they might understand things in a different way, a lot of different layers about a particular issue by looking at the artwork that's been created to interpret it. If they want to find more factual information, they might go to a scientist and find you know, the, the exact name for things. A lot of really particular information from scientists. If they want to find an interpretation of that and, and perhaps...
0: I think you've uh, just eloquently described that artists inspire, scientists explain. Oh, well, that
3: sums it up very yeah. well. Yeah.
0: Thank you Thank very you. <laughs> much for
3: talking
1: to me. That was Dr Carmel, speaking to Julianne Popple, about the fusion between art and science. Nick Barnes is developing software to make the bionic eye more useful. It's looking for salient features. He spoke to me at the noisy NICTA Tech Fest.
2: So I'm speaking with Nick Barnes from NICTA about the software for the bionic eye. And we've just been talking about how you've got software that looks for what's important in the image to the person who'd be looking through this bionic eye. So one
4: thing that people are interested in generally is being able to see and look at faces and look at facial expression of people. Uh, A problem with the technologies that are available soon in terms of bionic eyes is is resolution, that you won't have this really high resolution. Um, And indeed the sorts of things, You need to recognize faces, you need um, a a better resolution than current devices. But these things are coming. Um, So what we've tried to do in this space is give a person the ability to to fixate onto a face, replace a person's ability to fixate by by software so that if they have a face in a camera, it can hold the face still at the full resolution of the implant so that they're able to see in that at the full resolution rather than seeing the face quite distant in this shrunken view. That's
2: obviously really important because facial expression, there's so much nonverbal communication that, uh, that people with impaired vision can't see. And so if they can see faces, if they can read facial expressions, that's a huge improvement to their quality of life and their communication. Yeah. And so their social interactions.
4: Yeah. So that, that that I think is one of the, the key questions that we can do whether, whether we could use computer vision software in the middle of of, of a, something like a bionic eye to allow people to do high acuity tasks with this limited resolution by, by having this sort of automated zoom in play. <laughs> um, this automated ability to zoom in on the detail that they're interested such as facial expressions but also such as things like signs in the environment.
2: With the chip end of the Bionic Hire, they're they're looking in still another year or so before they'll start doing that, but it sounds like with software, you're going to be more than ready for for when they're testing the Bionic Hire. Yeah,
4: so we've been doing a lot of work, particularly around human navigation, and one of our main aims um, in the near term is to be able to see if we can, we've got methods that we've developed that we would like to try and restore people's ability to, for, for mobility um, and we've put a lot of effort into developing systems that we think may, may be able to assist and we've done them um,
2: in, in that sort of area. Right and so the two systems here, well basically what we've been looking at here is one with a thousand cross feeds, a thousand picture elements yep. that will be stimulated on the eye and it looks like at that level you can read street signs yes. and you can see faces. Yes, yes, you can on on
4: those ones. So that's that's a little further away. That that That's something that's being worked on within the Bionic Vision Australia consortium. But it's not it's not what's going to be tested in two thousand and thirteen. There's a lower resolution one that's more aimed at
2: at mobility. Yes. Well, there's a demonstration on the screen there of how that looks. And the interesting thing for me is that. If you're looking at just the 98 phosphines, just with a raw image you can't really tell what you're looking at but with your software it's focusing in on the fact that there's an object yeah and you can tell there's an object right in front of you and roughly what the shape might be
4: yeah uh, uh, yeah so it's highlighting objects and making them clear the other thing about the experience of this kind of vision so we conduct experiments where people wear simulators of this so they're wearing a head normally sighted people wearing a head mounted display and looking at this But if you wear those displays and you're actually walking and moving your head around in these environments it makes a lot more sense than it does on a, on a, on a screen from afar too so you're able to extract a, a lot of information if it's represented right in that frame and so that's our challenge in terms of vision processing is to come up with representations that are carry the information people want in an intuitive way that people are going to be able to use. Uh,
1: Nick Barnes, thank you very much. And next, Dr Adrian Grant is an honorary research fellow at the University of Sydney. Julianne caught up with her, despite the noise, at the Coral Art Science Life Exhibition opening at the Macleay Museum at Sydney University to talk about copper pollution and corals.
0: Dr. Adrian Grant, I was wanting to ask you, you've done some work on copper damage to corals. How much of an issue is copper in terms of it being a pollutant?
5: Well, it's now used to coat boats to prevent uh, slime uh, because they gave away tin some years ago once they realised that that was toxic. Unfortunately, copper is also toxic. But in minute amounts it's essential for virtually all organisms. Without copper we wouldn't be able to produce elastin and collagen which are parts of our body tissue. It's particularly important if there are a lot of boats moored around a coral reef, for example, because the copper that's
0: in this antifoulant will gradually seep off and kill various organisms. You worked on a species called Plesiastria, I believe. What was the effect of copper on this species of coral? Well, we were just
5: doing uh, a laboratory type experiment. The corals that were not exposed to copper recovered and regrew a fleshy uh, outer covering within a couple of weeks. But the corals that had been exposed to copper just died. Now, if we had not seen it happening, we would never have known. Because of the importance of this not obvious damage, it was important to find a simple method of detecting damage by copper before it was too late and the coral reef had just died. So we looked for another organism and we found that zoanthids, which are a little bit like, they have tubes. They belong to Nidarians, as do corals and anemones, the but they just grow larger, about a finger size, and they're much easier to deal with. So I should add that with the corals, they had not bleached in the sense of expelling their algae. There was nothing like that at all. We tried the zoanthids and found out that when they were exposed for, for a couple of days, they shrank instead of being extendable, tubes, their
0: whole body tube they just shrank Is it possible to detect copper damage in the natural environment? It's very difficult to
5: measure it in a a meaningful way Yes, you can measure the copper that's in the sediment but some of that may be locked up for years and not do any harm I say years but any time As well as that previous methods for detecting copper damage as a pollutant were to expose creatures to various concentrations to find out the LD50, the dose at which 50% of the organisms died. Well, that's all very well, but it doesn't tell you where the damage occurred or why.
0: How do you think we can reduce the usage or the, the amount of copper pollution in marine environments? That's a very difficult
5: question, because not only do we have copper on boats, pleasure boats, in Sydney about 18 months ago, the amount that they were using in copper coat in antifoulant was 850 grams per litre, I think it was, um, which is very high. But of course, they also use it on large boats. The problem is that it can seep off at low levels for months at a time. No one seems to have found a suitable alternative. They tried tin, but they found out the tin was toxic. The reason for the research that we've been doing was to find literally a canary in the coal mine, and that's what the zoanthids have been useful for. So now what we could do is put some zoanthids in a soft sort of a cage, out in an area where we think that there is pollution and watch to see what happens to them. And if they shrink within a short time, we can then say, okay, bring in the geologists and other scientists, find out what that pollutant is. The other advantage of Xoamthus is that we could detect where the damage was occurring. And the because they have an elastic tubular body, we were able to detect the damage was occurring in the proteins that are in that body wall. The interesting thing is that the damage that occurred to that body wall is just the same sort of damage that occurs in atherosclerosis and type 2 diabetes in humans.
1: That was Dr. Adrian Grant speaking to Julianne Popple about copper, corals and zoanthids. And next is MJ Hibbert and the validators with A Little Bit.
6: They had it easy in the renaissance They could invent new branches of science over lunch But nowadays we work more incrementally No one's naming any new elements after us Cos we all do a little bit, that's how we do research There's teams all around the world doing these little bits of work We only do a little bit, but it's always for the best Oh, it takes a lot of little steps And no, it isn't very glamorous We won't make a world-shattering breakthrough We might find an explanation for gravitic oscillation But I somehow doubt you'll hear it on the news Cos we all do a little bit, but it's a little bit of good And compared to working for a pen, that little bit's enough We only do a little bit when you put them in a pot All these little bits together turn into a lot Like the movement of tectonic plates out, so we change the planet Like the tiny grains of sand that swallow cities Like the mountains moved by raindrops or the jungle moved by ants That's why my thesis isn't finished
1: You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR 107.3, and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Jeff Wang is building a social TV server called N.TV. I spoke to him at the noisy Nicta Tech Fest.
7: This is for social TV, so we have the content from the Facebook, or Twitter, and also we have some programs from the TV provider, ABC. And, uh, we deliver the content to the users with some recommendation because we based on the users' data, so the previous behavior, so history, and to keep the right content to suggest to the users. You might be like this, right? And also, we have the, the live TVs, the high-quality digital live TVs, so that you can watch the same as what they are on the TV station watching. It. Yes. And uh, we have also have the user settings, so, so maybe you have your friends, your, your parents, your wife, your child, that you get together want to watch some TV programs. We can learn those data and meet together and give you some suggestions. You might be in all your family or friends maybe like this program. And and you can use control set some parent control for the child. Yes. So you want to suggest a child to see some more movies for, for program. And also uh, this is we have some trials for the next year for the unions in New England. And some uh, users, or hundreds of users, uh, we will collect the data to tune to two recognition algorithms for the future. And uh, okay, so one we set off to commercial, so set off uh, will have the VTorrent string downloading thing. That means, yes. Uh, you do need to download the full BitTorrent, then watch the movie. You can download the BitTorrent, then find So it's streaming, streaming BitTorrent? Yeah, in the same time. So we we changed a little bit of the BitTorrent protocol, but it's compatible with this a normal BitTorrent protocol. And this one will be as a back end of the set of So for people yes. who aren't
2: familiar, BitTorrent is a peer-to-peer system of sharing. Yes. so that everybody that's watching is also sharing the files, yes, is that right?
7: exactly. And the good thing is, if you do this, uh, we have a setbox, this is a backend. the backend. If you in a home, you have a setbox or setbox, you wipe And your wife and your child or whatever, then they can watch the different programs on the different machines or TVs. Yes, because we use uh, the HV Demon. Yes. So this is a standard HDTV streaming, so you can watch it anywhere. You can use your iPad, your yep. iPhone, your laptop, or TV. That's so
2: can a standard smart TV, like your Sony or your Samsung or one of those internet televisions… Is
7: actually, it's not too smart
2: because they cannot give you a suggestion. They no, no they no. But could you use this service? Could it hook up to your server? Um, yeah. is what I'm saying, yeah, because yeah, like, yeah. they have web browsers built into them, usually.
7: Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just a web browser, that's a URL. Uh, uh, hold on just a moment, sorry, we won't get a hear you over this. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, it's just a URL that you give a browser. Exactly. And there's no flash involved? No flash. No flash, that's good to hear. Very good. <laughs> so, and it's... Um, it's HTML five. It's HTML five.
7: Right. right. So we use HTML five and CSS three as the white page UI.
2: So would I be able to like put in my Twitter account, my Facebook account, and get all the video recommendations from my friends? Yeah, you would. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, in the
7: future, we we'll develop some uh, uh, the mobile phone or iPad uh, clients. Yeah. Doesn't when your friends come to your home or? Uh, yeah. Then, or, or somehow, will de- detect what is some yes. new people coming and read that the data from the report and give the suggestion.
2: So, the question it's then critical. becomes yeah. how do you protect yeah. people's privacy if you collect yeah, exactly. information? Yeah, exactly.
7: We just use the very mind information, right. we don't use any private information, just you. Maybe you, you have it in the history, you watch the programs, you, 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 you watch, that's it. So,
2: the other question is, is this a centralized lot of information where it's all coming from an external service, or do you run this at home on your own server? Uh,
7: you mean the that's
2: the server? The, um, well, in order to use this, would I be pointing a URL at your server, or would I be pointing it at a box in my own house? So, but I would I run the, would I run the server on a PC in my own house and then connect all the clients to that, or do I connect over the internet to you? Over the internet, so it's over the internet. Yeah. You need to connect
7: to the supplier, right? The supplier.
2: If it's anonymous, how do you? So, if it's still going to be the information, still has to be tied back to the people for you to be able to serve up your recommendations and to, I guess, access all the links that people are suggesting of all the videos. Mm-hmm.
7: Sure. Yep. Like
2: meeting, like meeting Although that looks that looks amazing, so when would this be coming out on the market?
7: It's still in yes, yeah. yes. So what do you think? Because I next year we'll get some trials in the United States, New England, but right. for the market, I'm not sure.
2: Because there's some boxes, well, there's some software on the market that does a little bit of what you're doing, but not all of it. There's uh boxy. Right. You know boxy. I know boxy, yes? but it's
7: not that powerful. Boxy just <laughs> like uh, small machine. Yes. And you can watch the YouTube video, whatever. But they or, do or have XFNc. They just like a media center. That's right. They don't have they don't have the
2: BitTorrent streaming. Yeah. But what they do have is you can subscribe to your Facebook and Twitter videos. Yeah. So it sounds like they've got a tiny bit of Actually, what you're trying just, to do. they just
7: get the data from Facebook or Twitter. That's right. They don't have any recommendations. No. No. They don't have any real-time streaming, or they don't have the, uh, the program, uh, the live TV programs. So they, they miss so many things. Now, the other thing, I was looking
2: at, I don't know, somewhere around here, uh, there's a suggestion of the, the, peer, the peering would help with the problem of bandwidth. Yeah. That if you've got lots of people downloading ABC yeah. or SBS or any of these things, or even just getting general internet things, it starts to clog up.
7: Yeah.
2: And that you might even download the suggested viewing before people watch it. Yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. yeah. It's also a, a, a Bitcoin system, a yes. real time Bitcoin system. Wow. Yeah.
2: So that's pretty new, isn't it? Um, it is very new. It's very new, This is going to be tried on the NBN as well? Yeah. So this is, should just zip along on the NBN? Yeah. But even, though, I think, if you've got ADSL2 plus this should still work really, really you know, well, well. Of
7: course, yes. This is really designed for the school home, right?
2: So will you be looking for uh, volunteers to test it before it goes public?
7: Uh, yes, because like, just why we don't have a trial in. Uh, the university because we need the yep. data, we need to evaluate the benefits which
2: value for lots
6: of things. Yeah, but uh, we yeah. have some.
2: When you are looking for people to trial it, if anyone wants to volunteer, will you be putting up a, a web form for them
7: to apply or register? For uh, this uh, next year, we have uh, more than two thousand students yes. attended trials, so we will put in uh, you. On uh, web page, and let them just download the application. Yes. So they can run it in their own computers. So kind of the, or software can it in the Mac, Windows, Linux. And uh, we have also uh, hundreds of users, the trial users. We will home users. We will supply the, the box, the server box. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, I
2: look forward to using it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you. So Jeff Wang, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you.
0: It seems totally incredible to me now that everyone spent that evening as though it were just like any other.
1: And that's all from us this time on Diffusion. You can send email to diffusion at 2scr.com. That's diffusion at 2scr.com and tell us your thoughts, feelings and stories. If you'd like to be on radio and you live in Sydney, we need more volunteers on Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com And have a look at the new 2SCR website, www2 That's an all-new website at www2 Contributing to the program was Julianne Popple, and I produce Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR 107.3 in Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.